That's the sound of my heartbeat on this episode of The Right Fit. I am Kaj Larson. I am Java Larson, Dr. Java Larson. I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. So this won't be medical advice. This will be fun, entertainment, opinions, and perspectives. And I'm a personal trainer. I don't want to feel left out. So I'm a personal trainer sometimes, among other things. But I'm not your personal trainer, meaning that I don't want you to go out and snatch 185 overhead because you heard it on this podcast. Always make sure that you're under the guidance of you know, an adult professional, or in my case, a semi-adult professional. Um, but no, uh, this is the show where we take on weird, wild workouts in order to figure out like what some of the best fitness out there is. Um, although in this next, in this upcoming episode, uh, this is what we call a sprint episode, meaning we give you just the facts, hard hitting, do a quick workout, and then give you quick analysis of uh, what we think the benefits are. Yeah, a little shorter, uh, high-yield episode for you. Boom, boom, boom. Here it is. Uh, High-speed, low-drag. Here comes our next episode of The Right Fit. All right, let's get into this week's episode of The Right Fit. Jay, you picked the article this week to discuss, uh, and so we're going to do, seeing that this is a sprint episode, let's do a rack and stack analysis of the article you selected. What'd you pick and why'd you pick it? Okay. I picked this article from military.com, and yeah, it's written by Stu Smith. The title is, Do Tactical Athletes Need Pre-Workout Supplements? Does Anyone? And uh, basically, the article outlines uh, the widespread use of supplements and pre-workout supplements uh, in military basic training, uh, and also notes that a lot of military basic training bans the use of supplements, and that these rules were created over the years due to misuse and other issues. Uh, and uh, the article um, kind of goes on to outline some of the downsides of pre-workout uh, supplements and um, make some recommendations for alternatives uh, that folks can use instead. Cool. Good summary. Um, so I actually, you sent me the article in advance. I did my homework, uh, but I didn't realize until you just said it out loud uh, that I have to give a disclaimer on this article. Oh, um, a lot of disclaimers here. I know. Uh, I am a critical reader <laughs> half of the time, uh, but I did not realize that this article was written by Stu Smith. Stu Smith was one of my mentors at the Naval Academy. He was a SEAL stationed at the Naval Academy when I was there. He helped me train for BUDS, which is SEAL training. I consider him a guru of fitness. And... This, is, this is a classic Kaj. Kaj I, I'm sorry, but Kaj annoyingly knows a lot of people. So I randomly pick an article uh, that I was on a topic I kind of wanted to say something about. And then, of course, you know the author. <laughs> okay. I know Stu right. really well. Okay. Well. SEAL teams. Uh, and many prospective SEAL students follow Stu Smith, tra- include, myself included, follow the Stu Smith training Bible to prepare for SEAL training. So that being said, 
Uh, I will not have an objective opinion on this article, um, but I'm predisposed to agree with it. And I apologize <laughs> in advance for already annoying my sister at the beginning of the podcast. Um, okay, I don't know Stu Smith, but I, I liked this article. Uh, so I'll just jump in uh, with that. I um, think there are a lot of issues with pre-workout uh, supplements. And I really liked the approach this article took. And it actually had a breakdown in it of... Um, how to interpret the milligrams of caffeine that you find on pre-workout supplements. And that's one take-home message that I always try to kind of spread the word on if people happen to ask me about uh, pre-workout supplements. Just the other day, I was having a little beauty thing happening, having my brows uh, done, and the um, esthetician asked me, do I use a pre-workout supplement? And I said something very similar to what Stu said here about um, caffeine and giving some people perspective about caffeine. So the, the bottom line is that a lot of these pre-workout supplements are stimulants. So just acknowledge that you're using a stimulant if you're going to use a stimulant and to think about it. So I'll, I'll just give the little spiel about the uh, caffeine. So an average cup of coffee is around 100 milligrams of caffeine. Could be quite a bit more for some of these giant Starbucks concoctions, uh, but I like to use a uh, number 100 just to give nice me... Nice round number that yeah. everybody can calculate their milligram dosage. Yeah, so if, if, if please do not take anything without looking at the label. Just because it says pre-workout doesn't mean it's good for your pre-workout. Look at what's in it. What is going into your body? So if it's, you know, look at the caffeine milligramage, and if it says 500 milligrams, ask yourself, do I want to drink five cups of coffee right now? That is, I think, a way to really put it in perspective. What what are we talking about physiologically? So I'm so glad. I think that's the one great takeaway. Uh, I'll provide a, there's some historical context on this supplement. This is a tremendous issue during military training and specifically during military uh, selection courses for special operations forces. And what I will say about what Stu is intimating here is that the lessons he puts forth and his meta recommendation is be very wary of stimulants prior to intense training, whether that's a triathlon or SEAL training. The that's his that's the meta takeaway here. I think Javid just kind of gave you the granular, like read the labels and calculate the approach. But what I'll say about Stu here, and I already admitted that I'm a fanboy, is that these are lessons that are born in blood, right? We have training accidents where guys are on runs and they have some kind of cardiac event or whatever, and a lot of times there's a correlation causation problem here. They'll get all over me, but a lot of times they'll go back to that student's room and they'll see that they were like macking out on stimulants, that they were, they'll go to their car at the the BUDS, the SEAL Training Center compound, and they'll find stimulants. Because this became a prolific problem, most special operations courses, selection courses, basically banned supplements. And then I'll just say on like an operator tactical level, yes, these things are competitive. Yes, people are looking for an edge, but my general mission-based philosophy for the platoons that I was in and for the the teams that I was in charge of has been like, look, I don't want you to need seven cups of coffee before a mission because what happens when we don't have a cappuccino maker at war, right? Like I want you to be as kind of natural as possible. Of course, 
there's people use stimulants in a variety of ways during extreme conditions, but the meta takeaway that, that we both said, I think still applies. So that's the very specific tactical context. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people probably remember outside of the military when there were um, cardiac death in sports due to ephedra and then ephedra was banned. And, you know, if there's a new thing and it works, it's probably dangerous. <laughs> you know, they already banned ephedra, but they're, you know, the plant world is full of molecules that can hype you up and and they they will have side effects. It's the nature of, of a stimulant. So... I, I'm totally with that you need to be very wary of these. Um, yeah. That being said, you know, I love that in the end, uh, Stu says, you know, it's it's fine to drink a cup of coffee and tea. And, you know, in, in, in all honesty, there are, I won't deny that there are some studies that show a, a little bit of performance enhancement with moderate appropriate doses of caffeine um i think it obviously depends on the workout and what you're trying to perform there there i don't want to pretend that there's no performance benefit under any circumstance but there's definitely a dose response curve and there's definitely a danger yep uh bottom line for me is um there's no pill you can pop to become a seal or an elite athlete uh, I don't like when people look towards supplements for solutions. In future episodes, we'll go much deeper into supplements that we do think are beneficial and, and how you control that and how you balance nutrition and supplements. Uh, but for today, I'll just sign off saying uh, thank you, Stu Smith, for being a mentor to me. And uh, thank you for, I think, what both of us would agree is pretty cogent analysis about the use of supplements uh, in sports. Absolutely. I loved this article. Loved it. Okay, let's get into our sprint edition of the Right Fit, appropriately named, all puns intended, because this was a sprint workout. It was not. It was a jog. (laughs) But uh, yeah, it's in the the general (laughs) I get it. I get it. Cool. So Jay, you want to give a little background about uh, what we chose this time and why? Sure. Uh, This barely counts as a wild and wacky workout. It's more like a default. Uh, We got together this week and we looked at different activities and... And we realized we had a limitation, which is that I am nursing a wrist injury. I had what we call it in medicine, a foosh, fall on outstretched hands, <laughs> meaning I just friggin' tripped on my own foot, fell onto my left hand, and now my left wrist is hurting. So we're kind of out on a few things. Um, Does anybody ever come into the ER who fell doing something incredibly stupid? And you say, oh, look at that douche with a foosh. <laughs> no, no. no, but that's quite funny. Um, I, I think I'm the douche with a foosh right now. All right. Fair enough. Uh, all right. So we decided to do something uh, we do quite often, and we decided to go for a beach run. And we decided to do uh, a quick episode for you guys about it because we actually think there's a lot of value in doing beach runs and we wanted to talk about um things you do when you can't necessarily take a class or for 
uh, different regions. I mean, the bottom line is, if you're lucky enough to have access to a beach, <laughs> this is this is it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't. I live in the desert, so I don't always have access to a beach. But right now, I've got one a few blocks away. Yeah. So. Uh, we went out when the sun was beautiful, and uh, we ran about. Yeah, that's I, that's pretty much the workout. That's 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 why we chose it. Uh, well, the facility. I would like. To, uh, let's talk about the facility. <laughs> um. Thank you, Lord. I don't know how religious. <laughs> no, we're not religious. But uh, whoever made or however this facility was made, they did a damn good job. Yes. Whether that facility was made in seven days yeah. or seven million years by erosion and wind and sediment, like uh, we went for a run on Venice Beach, which is really close to my house, uh, just a block from my house. And this is a run, full disclosure, that we've done in the past. But it's uh, it's a gorgeous place, and the facility couldn't be more awesome. We have a philosophy that uh, in the CrossFit gym, which is get outside the box, like get out of the box. Sometimes you gotta take your workouts outside, and even more so, I would underscore that anytime you can take your workouts outside, there's some incredible benefit to it. Um, I also one more note on facility is that the I often encourage in terms of recovery and mobility after a really heavy lifting workout or a really heavy high intensity interval training workout people are often really sore after their first couple of CrossFit classes people are like can't get off the couch kind of sore and one of the things that I always encourage is active recovery um, and mobility work instead of just lying there like a couch potato and, you know, eating some food, right? Go for a walk on the beach, go for a jog on the beach. Use even your off days, your recovery days as active recovery days. So I think this workout fell somewhere in that category of you were injured, we were both sore and tired. We used our run as a recovery workout. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, <laughs> this is kind of funny. We're kind of stretching our format a little bit. So now we usually talk about the class, like what time it was, the warm up, the instructor. This is just two people going out for a jog on the beach. Um, but uh, there are some nuances. Like we like to, to go when the sun is a little bit warm. Uh, and also, uh, I think one of the, the big things about running on the beach is sand soft sand versus hard sand. Yep. So the way that we did it was we went out on the soft sand and back on the hard sand and they kind of work different muscles. Yeah. So let's get into the the nuts and bolts of the actual workout itself. That's exactly what we did. We ran about four miles, four mile beach workout. The first two, as you mentioned, the outbound was soft sand. This was an out and uh, back workout. And there was some method to my madness on why we chose soft sand out and hard pack back. So the soft sand out your um, is going to be harder. It's going to be more challenging by nature of the fact that the ground is uneven, that the soft sand absorbs. I think it absorbs a lot of that that energy. And oh, yeah. You're shaking your head. Yeah. Oh, sand, no. Right? When you're not used to it, it is nuts. You just, <laughs> oh, I'm moving so slowly. You know what I call soft sand? I call it the great equalizer. At my gym, uh, we often have NFL athletes come, lots of professional athletes come, and they're 
studs. And then we take them out to the soft sand for a workout. And oh my God, they are dying. It's the great equalizer. If you're not conditioned to running in the soft sand, it will humble even the most hubristic of athletes. Yeah, and it's somewhat different. Definitely different muscles, um, more of a roll on your foot, just a, a whole different physical. Yeah, yeah. So we did uh, two miles out on the soft sand. That also has the added advantage of you start off a little slow because your turnover is naturally slower in the soft sand. And so I would say the first five-ish minutes, 0.6 miles of that um, kind of constituted warm-up. Then we got our flow. Another thing we did in this workout is we did what we call a negative split. So slower out, slower soft sand workout, maybe more a slightly more muscular, uh, muscular based, right? A little harder on on the calf muscles, on the legs, right? And then when we hit the pier, we turned around and then we hit ran on the hard pack and our turnover was faster and we did what's called a negative split, meaning that we came back faster than we came out. And I think that's a really good way if you're going out on a jog to think about negative splitting it. It forces you not to slow down uh, on the back end. And so we got a little bit of like soft sand work and then we got a little bit of pace work on the way back. And that was our workout. Yeah. I usually wear a heart rate monitor when I jog. Unfortunately, I left my heart rate monitor at home. But I am a big fan of some kind of objective measure of your uh, cardiovascular uh, output. You know, some kind of objective measure of your workout. There's there's few reasons why I like it. One, it just really helps you compare between workouts and kind of get a sense of what you're doing. And two, it's really motivating when you have something that's a either some kind of point tracker or calorie tracker or certain number of minutes in a certain heart rate zone, something that you see a lot during different workouts, it helps you want to hit that mark. You don't want to have a workout that's only three quarters of your usual workout. And so you you have a way of kind of pushing yourself. I'm going to get whatever it is. So for me, I have, originally I was big on Orange Theory. So I was, they have their splat points, but I know there's, you know, people do it with Apple Watch. It really doesn't matter however you track it. I think what you're saying is something that I have talked about ad nauseum through these episodes and in life is that both of us are believers in some measure of what I call objective fitness for subjective fitness. Subjective fitness is things that how you feel during a fitness thing, objective fitness, something you can actually measure, whether that's heart rate, whether that's time, whether uh, that's reps, whether that's weight, some something like that. Our suggestion, there are times where when you like want to push all that stuff aside and just flow and feel. Yoga is a great example of that in your body and your spirit. But I would say for a lot of workouts, it's easy to fall into the trap of like, oh, I'm just going to go out there and jog and see how I feel. I, I think if there's two takeaways um, from this episode at all, it's that one, act of recovery, and two, be conscious during some proportion of your workouts about doing some kind of objective measure. And even if you're going for a run, use a watch, do a negative split, do some interval work, and, you know, keep yourself honest by measuring it. Yeah. That being said, you know what? I didn't have it, and it's totally fine, too. It's still, it actually helps you in a certain way when you use it enough, 
When you don't have it, you have had that biofeedback. You learn more about what certain heart rates feel like. And when you don't have it, you still hit that feel. Yeah. And I will say you build that muscle memory over time. I am a dumb runner. So I need to look at the watch and know my pace. I just run fast, right? But swimming, I'm a, I can tell you often within a second or two of coming in on a 50 meter time or a hundred meter time. So uh, yeah, I think we had that on this, uh, on this workout. So that being said, out and back, we, we, we banged out our four miles um, and then we strolled back to the house. How do we, let's, let's put that workout through our filter through our objective analysis of mind, body, well, totally subjective analysis (laughs) of mind, body, and spirit. Absolutely. Okay, mind, you know, it's funny because in the past when we've talked about mind, which is the measure of how much skill uh, or neurologic engagement there is in an activity, we've used running as an example of a one on the scale of one to 10, meaning that it doesn't take a lot of skill. Uh, I I don't think, I'm not sure I can say that a beach run is any different than any other run particularly. Um, So I guess I can't, I have to give it a one for mind. Okay, you're a more honest broker than me, but I I hear your point, I, I heed your point. I want to bump it up to a two because what I want to encourage people to do is be smarter in all of their fitness. And I do think there's a way to be a smart runner, to be aware of your internal pace, to be measuring against uh, a clock, to do these negative splits, um, and to do something other than just run for till you feel like it, right? And so for that reason, I want to say that you can run smarter um, and bump up the sort of mental acuity of of this kind of workout fair enough uh, it's fair i really wanted to give it a two but i was, I was trying to be consistent <laughs> that's what big brothers are for to make you totally inconsistent uh body body i mean i think uh, for me jogging is a staple jogging should I mean, not should, whatever. For me, it's something I definitely like to have in my repertoire of working out. You know, it's it's kind of a, a, a basic um, that's good for your heart, good for your muscles. So I give it a six. Cool. And I'll even go further. 7.9. Yeah. Basically, I'll give running an eight. I think running is a fundamental baseline skill for cardiovascular conditioning, cardiovascular endurance. I think adding the beach element might take it from your six to my eight, adding it the soft sand. I think there's incredible advantage, especially uh, we were running barefoot in terms of the stabilizing muscles that you build on the soft sand. Um, and I, I actually like can't advocate beach fitness enough. True that, true that. I mean, it is, it, it, it's good for you. If we had done something more complicated like sprints with push-ups in there, maybe I would have elevated it. Um, but I, you know, I'm feeling so stingy with my points today. <laughs> That's okay. You, you set the scale. You're the judge. You set the scale so there's room for like massive improvement. All right. Great. Uh, and then finally, spirit. Uh, okay. Spirit. 
running on the beach with my brother. I mean, there. I don't want to max out the scale, but it's pretty friggin' high. It is. There's. There's got to be. You know, running on the beach with my brother in an exotic locale with dolphins jumping. So there's got to be some. So I can't give it a ten. So I have to give it a nine point two. It felt awesome. It was beautiful. The packed sand was a huge runway in front of us, glistening. There were birds. There were children giggling. And uh, we had good conversation and kind of like sorted out things in our lives together. It's beautiful. Yeah, I, I, I'm i with you. It, it We got to leave a little bit room in the scale for improvement, but it's essentially a nine for me as well. Running on the beach in a beautiful location is as good as it gets for fitness. We didn't see any dolphins this time, although I have many times <laughs> in the past. And it's a gorgeous run. One very technical note is we didn't do this deliberately because we were pushed around by other factors, but our timing was amazing because we picked extreme low tide to run. So when we ran back on the hard pack, it was a super giant, like a runway for us to just cruise down and and kind of sprint the finish. So if you do plan a lot of beach runs, tide might be a factor that you consider. Cool. Great. Well, that's it. Mind, body, spirit. We will total all of those up. We'll give you the average for the beach workout. But I think it's safe to say that that was damn special. Wonderful. Should should you all be so lucky to get one in? All right. Well, that's a wrap for our sprint. Sprint? More like a leisurely jog on the beach episode. <laughs> We're still getting our feet wet, just like on the beach. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're getting our sea legs under us. But thank you for listening. And please don't forget to send us your questions and feedback. Uh, we didn't do a Q&A for the sprint episode, but we love getting input and we love answering your questions about fitness. And if there are workouts that you're curious about or that you're interested in out there that you've heard about, what's this TRX thing? What's this eat the frog thing? Uh, send us a note and maybe if we're inspired... We'll check them out and report back to you. Yep, and please subscribe to us, uh, the Right Fit Podcast, however you listen to podcasts. And you can find us on all the usual socials, at TRF Podcast on Instagram, on Twitter, also at TRF Podcast. And you can follow our personal accounts, at Kaj Larson and at Jay Lar, Or you can send us a text at 619 619- Three one nine nine two two nine. All right, thank you for listening, and we'll be back with another episode when this dynamic duo reunites next. Uh, and we have some pretty good ones lined up, I must say. All right, Kaj and Jayla, reminding you to find your fit. <laughs>